Hey everyone, first question today comes via email. Hey John, Zena, and Megan, Noah here. What's a creepy line from a horror movie that stuck with you? For me, from Session 9, classic, I live in the weak and the wounded. For some reason, it really gives me the heebie-jeebies. Ooh. Thanks. Well, thanks for sharing your heebie-jeebies with us, Noah. Maybe we'll <laughs> share some with you. Uh, Zena, let's start with you. Is there any specific line that ever really sunk in for you? Oh, my God, yes. Yes. This one has always creeped me out ever since I was a kid. And that's from Mr. Sims and Tells from the Hood when he yells, this ain't no funeral home. Honestly, I, I, how old was I? Like eight? I ran. I ran out of the room. I was so scared. It's still, and it, still to this day, whenever I rewatch the movie, it gives me chills. Like RIP to, you know, Clarence Williams III. He was incredible. Yeah. Oh my gosh. His his line delivery of it, the shit. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> He was so good. So good. Yeah. Not horror related, but he also has the best line delivery in the movie Half Baked. I'm not sure if I've said this on the podcast. I feel like maybe I've talked to you <laughs> yeah. about it. This does sound familiar, yeah. At the very end when he's holding uh, the, the one guy like hostage, and he stands up and he realizes that he's not actually stuck in a wheelchair. And he's like, I've got your little Puerto Rican friend. And he's like. I'm not Puerto Rican. I'm Cuban, B. And, he, and Clarence Williams, I have no idea why he says this, but his response is, that's right, Cuban B. And it's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't even know what that means. But it's amazing because he's just Because he's all the for one it. saying it. Yeah. Yeah. He was yeah. amazing. It's all that matters. Um, it's basically like Tony Todd saying anything in any movie <laughs> ever. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, it works. Uh, how about you, Megan? Any good lines that stuck with you? Yeah, this one, we're just going to go straight for the creepy, I guess. Um, Picnic at Hanging Rock is kind of a weird, somebody described it as uh, like Sophia Coppola and David Lynch had a love child. It would be this weird movie. Is that a new one? No, it's from the 70s. So it's not not necessarily an actual valid description, but it's more of like the tone. It's just a Mm -hmm. very kind of trippy, surreal type of movie. Uh, where these girls go have a picnic at Hanging Rock, and most of them do not come back. They just disappear without a trace. Um, Except one of them does. I think there's two that, like, one comes back before they're declared missing, and then another later. And both times, the doctor tells the faculty alum that she's quite intact. That's what he says. She's quite intact. And Mm. it's so creepy. It creeps me out. Like, they're, he's, he's, explaining that you know it wasn't that kind of foul play but there's something about his line delivery and how like excited he is to it just creeps me out so bad hmm i i had a hard time with this one i don't know why as much as i love like really good line delivery and really good dialogue i think sometimes some of them get lost on me like in the moment you're like oh yeah oh my god that was a messed up line like Anything Arlie Ermey says in the Texas Chainsaw remake, basically like, oh, I just, I feel icky. Uh, (laughs) The one that I always remember, though, probably makes sense is from the Blair Witch Project, though, uh, towards the end. And it's the, I'm scared to close my eyes. I'm scared to open my eyes. I'm going to die out here. Yeah. Just that, that pure fear. Yeah. Like, 
just it's such a simple line that i'm sure so many people have felt whether they were kids or adults like mm-hmm. yeah I, I, I don't want to see this i want to close my eyes but i'm too scared to close my eyes because i don't want to not there's see nowhere it. safe yeah, yeah. And, and just the panic and the exhaustion and everything in the actor's voice when she says it and yeah that's a, that's a good one that's probably the one yeah Otherwise, it's not so much ones that stick with me, but classic lines, you know, like um, we all go a little mad sometimes and things like that, or they don't necessarily get under your skin, but they are just classic lines. And I can't find my cursor. (laughs) There it is. And our second question also came in via email from Olivia R. Besides Scream, what are some of your favorite whodunit slasher movies? I love the ones that keep me guessing. I had to think about this one at first. I was like, who done it slasher movie? Not realizing so many slasher movies are who done it. Yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> it's just the reality of it. I just I never think of it that way. I just they're horror movies, they're slasher movies, not as much who done it. And the one that really sticks out for me mm-hmm. is kind of like I kept watching the movie because I needed to know as much as anything else. And that was Identity, starring oh, John yeah. Cusack oh, yeah. and um uh, John C. McGinley and Rebecca de Mornay and a bunch of other people. It was mostly just like, okay, people keep dying. It's really messed up how a lot of them are dying. You have no idea really what's going on. So I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah that works for me. Like it, it wasn't necessarily the the reveal that I really liked, but it kept me going like yeah. more than I thought, more than most whodunits do. So it felt more mystery-ish than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about you, Megan? Um, well, I feel like anything pretty much Giallo <laughs> would count. Oh. Uh, yeah. I think that's entirely what mm-hmm. Giallo's purpose is, is the whodunit. Who, who's who's wearing the black gloves? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Dario Argento's uh, always a solid pick in that department. Um, I love, you know, Urban Legend. We've talked about that before. That's, I mean, anything Scream, you know, inspired in the mm-hmm. late 90s is going to be a whodunit slasher. And that one happens to be one of my favorites. Bodies, bodies, bodies sort of is mm. not entirely a slasher, but it is very much a whodunit aspect yeah. of it that drives it forward. Um, and then things like curtains doesn't yeah. get enough love. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, Malignant is a good example of that. That was definitely one of those where it's like, what in the hell is going <laughs> on here? Yeah. Uh, how about you, Zena? Uh, yeah, I have a couple because I love whodunits in general and slashers. But the first one that came to mind for me, because I'm obsessed with the 70s, Alice Sweet Alice. I had no idea like who the killer was. And I watched this at a very like late age. The same thing with the movie Detention from 2011, because it's just... Oh my gosh. It's, it's all over. <laughs> so much happens, you know? Um, and that one and uh, even another favorite of mine, Cherry Falls had no idea that they were going to, you know, do that like little twist. And then also cry wolf from 2005. Like I love that movie. And I remember going to the theaters to see it and I was like, what? And yeah, that (laughs) you just sat there in the theater alone. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, and you are next. Yeah. That was, that was a good one. It, It didn't necessarily, I didn't need, it wasn't the focal point because it's such an enjoyable movie across the board, but it is also like, but why are they doing this? What happened? <laughs> I didn't care though. Like I think no. that's the thing. Where it's, it's like just let her kill him. Just let her. Just let her have her her she day. She might as well. Yeah, she, yeah, she's doing good. Just listen to her. Why aren't you guys listening to yeah, her? Yeah, oh, who cares? Just you know, more 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 body fodder for her. 
Speaking of body fodder, welcome to the Bloody Disgusting <laughs> Podcast, everyone. The podcast where we discuss all the disgusting things we love in the horror world. And to help us discuss the disgusting, you know her as the movie critic for Bloody Disgusting, horror movie fanatic and journalist Megan Navarro. Hey, Megan. Hello. And you know her from her YouTube channel and website, Real Queen of Horror and Infant Love for the Genre, and head of Bloody Disgusting's TikTok, Zena Dixon. Hey, Zena. Hi. Hi. And I'm John. Big energy now that Megan's back. Yeah, Megan's back! <laughs> was it was it worse last week? Oh, I just fr- was freshly off uh energy drink, you know. <laughs> oh um, no, new guests in energy yeah, drink. Yeah, but today um I didn't have one. I'm just having Earl Grey tea. So oh, it's been a busy day. Yeah. That's okay. Need, now you just need a monocle and we're all set. <laughs> we're easing into the week. It's okay. Speaking of that. If you're listening to this on a Wednesday when the episode drops, we hope your week's been filled with all the best kinds of horror. And if not, we're going to click around the table for the movies, books, games, or anything else in horror that are making the three of us smile right now. Maybe there'll be things that'll make you smile, too. So, Megan, what you been up to? I've been up to <laughs> Sundance, watching some Sundance movies. Being uh, Sundancey. Being Sundancey. <laughs> came down from the mountains. Yeah, um... So I won't go through everything that I saw since I saw quite a bit, but I will talk about a couple that I saw that that got picked up immediately, nice. which means that they will be in your eye holes sooner rather than later. Uh, we love when movies get in our eye holes, we right? We love it. <laughs> so um, one of the movies, I think one of the, the buzziest on-ground movies at the fest that Netflix scooped up for a whopping $17 million Wow. Was uh, It's What's Inside. So that will be uh, coming to Netflix at some point. Um, and this one, they ch- have been trying really hard to kind of keep this a bit of a mystery, which there's really not much to surprise um, in the sense that it's basically about a college. Uh, well, they're not in college anymore, but it's a pre-wedding. One of them is getting married and he invites all of his old college pals um, to celebrate at his mother's really weird funhouse looking mansion um, for a night of partying as his last night of bachelorhood. And uh, one of the college friends they didn't expect to show up does. He has a suitcase and things get real trippy as like old crushes and tensions and jealousies come into play. It is definitely one of the most ambitious narratively I've seen in a while because there is so much to keep track of. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw a lot of descriptions and reactions out of the fest where it was like, I'm going to need multiple watches to pick up on what's going on. I don't think it's that complicated but there's just so much exposition and information getting like mm-hmm. thrown at you like tiktok rapid fire style that it's a lot but uh that being said it, it is it is really really fun it is funny it is really ambitiously done and he keeps track of it really well visually so you're not like what's going on you know like but you do have to pay attention so it is really fun um i do think it's worth a watch i think it would be more fun in theaters because the crowd was reacting pretty <laughs> loudly to this um so it kind of bums me out that you know that likely isn't happening with netflix but you never know um, and then another one that I was really, really surprised by, uh, Steven Soderbergh's presence, mm. um, neon scoop that up mm. out of, uh, the festival. I don't remember for how much, but yeah, it's, that one's a good get. Steven Soderbergh has done a lot of stuff like, um, Unsane, mm-hmm. uh, I think Zena's a fan yeah, of Unsane. That <laughs> yeah, I, I was not as fond of Kimmy, which was what he and uh, writer David Kep did um, mm-hmm. during lockdown. It's a very lockdown 
um, inspired kind of thriller with Zoe Kravitz. This one is basically a family moves into a suburban house that's already inhabited by a ghost and everything is shot from the ghost's perspective. So this is the camera is the ghost. Like that's what you're watching is through the ghost's eyes. And so that front, it's not scary, but as you're getting into this family's crazy drama and dysfunction, a different kind of horror emerges. And I was just really, really riveted. Um, not just by the family drama. I mean, you've got, uh, Lucy Liu, Mm -hmm. who is the Mm -hmm. matriarch. Um, Chris Sullivan is the really sweet dad. You got these two kids. Um, Julia Fox is the realtor for all of five minutes in the opening. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a really pleasant surprise. It, was very surprisingly atmospheric and tense. Um, not really the ghost, but some other stuff. And just Steven Soderbergh is the one wielding the camera. And he makes this camera have so much personality. Like, the ghost has personality. It's crazy. So, yeah, I was really, really fond of that one. Hmm. Nice. And I decided I, I've, I've got a lot of blind spots in horror. I'm not going to pretend like I don't. But I... Th- I decided I'm going to start going back and, and dealing with some of those blind spots. And I started that by going all the way back to 1951 to watch The Thing from Another World on Tubi. Oh. Scientists and American Air Force officials fend off a bloodthirsty alien organism while at a remote Arctic outpost. And yes, this is what the movie, the remake with Kurt Russell and Keith David, The Thing, is based off of very famously inserted into or the movie the original halloween movie that's being played on the tv almost as like a fortune telling i suppose or maybe it's just what john carpenter wanted to do next or knew he wanted to do next i don't know but i figured i should check it out you know i've heard it referenced enough i love the original i watched or not the original i loved the the remake i rewatched the remake too because and i I am amazed at the coping skills of people in 1951. Mm-hmm. They don't get rattled by anything <laughs> at Good all. Good for them. <laughs> not by the concept of discovering a flying saucer, not by the existence of aliens. It's a little bit matter of fact, especially the newsman who's like, ah, oh, you blew up, you blew up an alien spaceship and lost the alien all in one day. Congratulations. Like there was no concern <laughs> that they found an alien. Yeah, they know they found an alien spaceship and then they blew it up by accident. And it was just like, oops. <laughs> like, that's it. That's all we get is an oops. Gee like, whiz, guys, we did it. Now, to be fair, since this was shot in 1951, that there's a good chance that a lot of the soldiers involved in this were probably in World War II. So maybe they didn't care. Maybe they're like, aliens are not my problem. I've, I've seen so much worse than an alien craft. Uh, <laughs> It's it's a silly movie. <laughs> I'm sure it was fantastic at the time. Doesn't really hold up, but it's fun. And I was more charmed by it than anything else just because they are just so, like, they're just good. And I think that that's what, I think it's important to watch, especially if you like the original thing, though, to see what a remake can be. Mm-hmm. And... John Carpenter identifying isolation and the amazing Kurt Russell quote that was used a lot during quarantine is we're all very tired and nobody trusts anyone. <laughs> oh, well, there's another there's another line that's yeah. with you, just more more context. 
But like just that concept of we're isolated. We're we're not okay. Like there's oh, yeah. bad stuff going on here and we're stuck in the Arctic with no chance of getting out. And that's kind of missing from the original, but it's a classic. It gave us the thing. And so I'm not going to complain too much. And it's charming. It's a fun little watch. It's it's very 1951 sci-fi-y. It's, go check it out. It's on Tubi. I think it's still on Tubi. And then, believe it or not, I'm going to give a book recommendation. Yeah. Not because I read it, but thank you, Audible. <laughs> <laughs> and I checked out, and this was a recommendation from my producer, Pacific, The Lady from the Black Lagoon, which was written in uh, 2019. The Forgotten Career of the Lady from the Black Lagoon, Millicent Patrick, a new book by Mallory O'Mara explores the life of artist Millicent Patrick, who worked on Fantasia and costumed a legendary Hollywood monster, and then ran afoul of misogyny in the workplace. Uh, this was interesting because, again, it kind of highlights my blind spots. Like, it, I've, I've never seen Creature in the Black Lagoon. Spoilers for next oh, week. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So... I was just kind of curious, like checking out, and I love the behind the scenes Hollywood or like Hollywood biography type stuff, making of any little thing, you know, the concept of what Jaws was supposed to be, you know, like when budgets run over editing or what the crow was supposed to be, but then Brandon Lee died and they had to make all these edits. And sometimes like the happy coincidences of this is what, like the original script for Sicario is so different from what uh, Dennis Villeneuve like ended so up like with. See, like nonfiction, not just specifically biographies and autobiographies. Yeah, yes, yeah, okay. more nonfiction. I think I just kind of lent itself to biography because I figured talking about one person, that you know, like yeah, yeah, Joe yeah. Bob Briggs or someone. Um, but I, listening to it, it was it was really it was interesting because anything like this, you're crafting a narrative, right? You're you're researching, you're looking up someone's history on paper mm-hmm. and you are talking to people, but you're still, you're forming a, a, a world in your head that sounds about right. That's probably pretty close, but more than anything, it, it was just like the more stuff changes, the more it stays the same because there is a lot of talk of the misogyny and what both the author and Millicent had to deal with working in Hollywood like just being women in Hollywood, having to pr- like work twice as hard to prove the exact same level of worth as a male counterpart or have even more worth and still not be able to like prove it just because you're a woman on set or if you're a woman on set, it's because you must be sleeping with someone or whatever. And so after a little while, I was also like, this Boy, this sucks. Yeah. Not that the book sucks. It's, the book's great. But it, it also, it's, it's you know, the whole history is written by the winners thing because the concept of Millicent Patrick, despite the fact that she designed the original creature suit for Creature from the Black Lagoon, has no credits in it because only department heads were listed in credits back in the day. Yeah. And there's been like this constant controversy about how involved she ever was. There's a very thick wall of misogyny around people like she had nothing to do with it because dot 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 with very flimsy evidence like why do you care like like like, and and just like the boys club of hollywood and the difficulties of just trying to be a creative back in the day and i'm sure it's not i'm sure it's equally difficult now for a lot of people 
um, fascinating read, though, just on the way history, like there's William Randolph Hearst is involved and like the whole history of her family and Hollywood. And it's it's sad and uplifting and also just fascinating how history can just disappear. This stuff happened. These people made things and they're just gone because nobody wrote it down. (laughs) Yeah, that's I have I read this book when it came out and I didn't love it because it was a hard for me to wrap my head around it's selling you one thing and that's not what you're necessarily getting you think you're getting this biography on millicent patrick but because there's not enough data there Mm -hmm. the book winds up being like half about millicent and half about the author's pursuit of trying to write a biography and so if you go into that knowing that i think you're better prepared because I wanted to know more about the movie and her design and who she was. And instead I know all about Mallory O'Mara. Yes. That's excellent point. Yeah. I felt the same way where you would feel like you were getting headway to find more about Millicent. And then it was the pursuit of information. Mm. Yes. It's, it's about her and how she got to that point and her research process, which is great, you know, but I think like it's really kind of hinges on, what you think you're getting when you go into this book. And for me, I think my mindset was thinking I was going to get, because that's what they initially were selling this book as. So I think if you just kind of reframe that sales tactic, then yeah, like a lot of, and maybe it doesn't infect your enjoyment at all because a lot of people did really, really love this one. I just, like I said, you're you're selling me on a biography for one instead of a biography, a two-part biography in, in one. Yeah, if it was framed more like the pursuit of truth yeah. behind Millicent Patrick's life or something, then it's yeah. true because it is the pursuit and it is the information. And it is it is very well researched. It is an mm. easy breezy read. So like there is a lot to like about it. I just that's what just be prepared if you're seeking this book out. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's uh yes, you'll get about fifty percent of what you're looking for depending on which side you're looking for, I suppose. Yeah, but I'd still check it out, and it's yeah, yeah. available on Audible. And I listen at like one and a half speed because I'm also lazy. Um, I feel like that's a lot of people these days. Yeah, 1.5 a lot of speed. people. I, I yeah. think it is for stuff like that. Yeah, it is what it is. People are probably listening to this at 1.5 speed. Like we just have to get through this. I don't want to listen to this in real time. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. So, Dina, uh, how about you? So I read the book Pen Pal by Dathan Auerbach. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> 2012. Um. This one has been on my uh, list for a while, and I've been trying to read a new book a month. And this one was a super fast read. Um, basically, it's a horror suspense novel based on a series of a creepy pasta stories by the author, posted to the No Sleep Forum on Reddit. And yeah. oh boy, yeah. So the series, <laughs> they're um, they're series of shorts, and they're interconnected. And um, I guess I'll just dive in. So the book in the book, we follow a young boy who grows up in a small town. Each trap chapter describes events in his life and they're kind of like disconnected and they're in random order. Um, But the, you know, the more you read on, you'll be able to um, sequence like everything and it'll come together. Right. And then you'll realize that from the start, this is the synopsis from the start. This kid was six years old and he was being stalked, you know, and this is by far one of the most heartbreaking, disturbing books I've ever read in my life. Yeah, I I love the author's writing style. The tension in this book, it is so real and suffocating. 
it completely pulled me in. I was hooked from the start. But like I said, it's it's sad. It's really sad and it's unsettling. And uh, I put a lot of blame on a particular person that I will not name. Um, I know the author, he does have another book called Bad Man, but I need a break. So, I mean, I already, <laughs> I already <laughs> bought that one. Comedy. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely need a break. But, I mean, I feel like if you are looking for a book that is creepy um, and it's kind of like a mystery, I highly recommend this one. Um, again, it's enjoyable. And I feel weird saying, oh, man, I loved it. I loved it. But I because it was very sad, I will not read it again. No. Yeah. There's also a fantastic narration on the No Sleep podcast. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's like season one, two. Maybe it was season three. I don't think it was. Maybe it was season three. Oh. Yeah, this was. Yep. Yeah, Zena's absolutely right. It's creepy and unsettling and scary until like the last chapter. And then it is sad. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> it's very sad. It, it's like I fantastically crafted. Yeah. I still think, like, I finished this, like, a couple of weeks ago, but I still think about it, and I needed some time to process um, yeah. what happened to me when I read it, you know? <laughs> but, again, I, I highly uh, recommended it. So, um, uh, last week when Joe Lipset, he was on from Queer uh, Horror Queers, uh, he recommended uh, this book. Well, this movie last week called Uncle Peckerhead. So 2022 B, he said that this is a Xena movie and he's 100% right. This movie is so, it's just so much fun and bloody and happy. So um, basically when a punk rock band, they score their first tour, you know, life on the road, you know, proves to be right, uh, rough for them uh, when they are joined by a man eating demon. <laughs> As their roadie. Uh, so, yeah, I, I I think that the characters are charming. The punk rock band, their name is Da. Isn't that cool? So they have a hard time, you know, they're having a hard time at first booking some local gigs. They also need, like, a van so they can also, like, you know, transport themselves and their equipments. And they come across a man who introduces himself as Peckerhead, you know. And he said that's what his daddy used to call him. So, anyway, um... The man is nice. I mean, he's just, he doesn't have anything really going on. He's a middle-aged man, and he pretty much volunteers to to help them out. For some reason, the band agrees. After the first gig, like, things get completely bloody because they're only paid $3. So... <laughs> You know, and then pretty much, yeah, they're, you know, Peckerhead is their new friend, yes, but he is a demon who eats people. So, yeah, this one is a lot of fun. If you loved blood-soaked, silly, punk rock, um, you know, horror, I feel like this is the one for you. So thank you so much, Joe. Like, if you're a fan of Deathgasm, would this be a good follow-up? Yes. Also, go watch Deathgasm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we move on, what did we watch and how did we watch it? I was at Sundance, and I watched It's What's Inside and Presence. Both have been acquired for distribution, so stay tuned for release date info. Nice. I watched 1951's The Thing from Another World on Tubi, and I listened to The Lady from the Black Lagoon by Mallory O'Meara on Audible. So I read Pen Pal. You can find it on Amazon. And then I also watched Uncle Peckerhead on Tubi. Or again, you can listen to it on No Sleep. It's an older No Sleep, so the quality is not what it used to be. And unfortunately, I still haven't been able to get permission to narrate it myself, even though I would really love to. Aww. It's okay. Life's regrets. <laughs> All right. Enough about what we've been watching. It's time for Megan to bring us up to speed on the news and trending topics in the world of horror. So what's going on, Megan? 
Uh, this one, I'm very interested to know what Xena thinks. Um, Emmy Award nominee Sydney Sweeney, who is behind uh, Euphoria and The White Lotus, or stars it, and she's not behind it. Um, yeah, she stars in the psychological horror film Immaculate, which has been dated for theatrical release on March 22nd. It reunites Sweeney with director Michael Mohan, who directed The Voyeurs. Um, they direct, or he directs from a script by Andrew Lobel. Um, Sweeney stars in Immaculate as Cecilia, a woman of devout faith who is offered a fulfilling new role at an illustrious Italian convent. Her warm welcome to the picture-perfect Italian countryside is soon interrupted as it becomes clear to Cecilia that her new home harbors some dark and horrifying secrets. And the trailer, the Red Band trailer, was released uh, last week, so it's now available online. Zena, is this one that's on your must list? Yes, it is. And I cheated, and I watched the trailer! Oh, <laughs> I know! What? I know! I watched it twice. Um, But yeah, I'm really excited about it. There's so I, I won't spoil it just because, you know, just in case there's someone who doesn't like to watch trailers, but it looks really good. A lot of creepy stuff going on. I'm so excited. And it really is right up my alley. Oh, and if exciting. you have any concept of Christianity or Catholicism, by the title alone, you can probably guess yeah. a plot device. Ah, that da, da, da. <laughs> um, and I also have some John news. Hey. At least I think it's John news. Sure. Uh, for the first time in almost 15 years, the Lost Boys are back. In a musical. Uh, yeah. The Lost Boys, a new musical, is an official stage adaptation of the classic 80s movie that's headed our way soon. Uh, the Lost Boys, a new musical, will be directed by M Michael Arden, featuring music and lyrics by The Rescues. Book by David Hornsby and Chris Hawk. Story by James Jeremias and Janice Fisher. Uh, produced by James Carpinello. And Patrick Wilson. <laughs> Patrick Wilson is producing this musical, which kind of makes sense because I feel like he's been musical his whole career, uh, his whole film career. So Joel Schumacher directed the original 1987 movie, wherein two brothers moved to a new town and discover the area as a haven for vampires. Um, yeah, and they, they did release a trailer, which you can watch online if you are curious. But I feel like it is kind of on trend lately to turn horror movies into off-Broadway musicals because there's this one. Uh, Teeth is getting one. I think what? it's actually running Whoa! now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would like popped up. That was announced months ago and I think it might be either starting now or about to. I'll have to look for it. But yeah, can you imagine? Teeth is is the wild one. Lost Boys? No, no, no. They, they, they gotta have a... <laughs> if they don't have like a saxophone interlude or intermission or something, oh. they're failing. They have to. And don't forget Saw, the unauthorized musical. There you go. I do have earmarked to see at some point during their national tour. Yeah, that's coming up quick. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know the dates, but maybe the, the website lists dates. But, yeah, it's supposed y to be Yeah, I, I'm down. Sure, why not? Again, I missed out on the Evil Dead, like, performance, so I don't want to miss these anymore. And it does yeah. sound pretty cool. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of teaser trailers, too. Okay, so I watched the <laughs> teaser trailer, and there's a song that's in it, and it sounds really good, so I don't know. Uh, see? See, for me, musicals, like, are make or break by the mm -hmm. music. If the music is, is not pleasing to my ear holes, then I'm probably not as fond of it. Um, but yeah, so there's that. And then uh, this is actually a little bit older in case you missed it news, but it's it's huge, at least to me. Uh, Super Massive hit, Super Massive's hit video game Until Dawn is going to turn 10 next year. So for its 10th anniversary, I suppose it's fitting that an adaptation is on the way. Um, and this will be from David F. Sandberg, who directed Lights Out and Annabelle Creation before helming a pair of Shazam movies. But I think his time in the DCEU might be 
done, which yeah. is great because come back to horror. Um, yeah, so he's <laughs> going to be seated in the director's chair for Until Dawn, the movie. Uh, Blair Butler, who is behind Sony's Invitation, the vampire movie that came out a couple years ago. Um, Blair Butler wrote the original draft of the screenplay and Gary Doberman, who is behind it and uh, the still yet unreleased Salem's Lot, is now working on the script. Um, the video game's... Ex- <laughs> yeah, John's giving me a stink face. I'm sorry. Uh, no, it's fine. We talked about this a little last week and I gave the same face when we mentioned Salem's Lot last because week. Because we it's just want to see it. Yeah, I guess something's <laughs> got to give at some point. I just, I believe it. Um, but yeah, so the video game's expansive script um, was written by Larry Fessenden and Graham Resnick. Larry Fessenden also was mocap as a small supporting character in this video game. So I hope at the very least he pops up in, in this adaptation. So the logline for the feature ad- adaptation is like not been announced, but I feel like it's obviously going to be very similar. Um so it's described by Screen Gems as an R-rated love letter to the horror genre centering on an ensemble cast. The video game, which is one of my favorites, uh, centers on a group of eight teens, probably like late teens, early 20s, really, who decide to vacation for a night uh, in the ca- at a cab. Well, I don't think it's for the night. I think it's for the weekend. But it's this huge um, cabin in the fictional Blackwood Mountain exactly one year after the disappearance of two girls, their friends, who were members of the group. And shortly after arriving, they find themselves under attack by a psychopath, and they must attempt to survive until sunrise. So this was like an almost choose-your-own-adventure type Mm -hmm. uh, video game, if you haven't played, where you alternate between all eight characters, and what decisions you make drastically affects the outcome and each character's fate. So if you choose poorly, they'll die. If you choose correctly, they may survive until dawn. I don't know. But that, that's why I'm emphasizing this script that Larry Fessenden and Graham Resnick wrote was probably well over a thousand pages because they had to write alternate scenarios for every single path. Um, so be very curious to see how they're going to shrink that down to a mm-hmm. feature length movie. But yeah, it is being made by Screen Gems and PlayStation Productor, Production Production PlayStation Productions. Words are hard. They are. Um, so yeah. Producers are Doberman, Sandberg, his wife, Lotta, Lostin, as well as Roy Lee of Vertigo Entertainment. Roy Lee is behind a lot of, like, recent hits, like uh, Barbarian. So, yeah. So, are you excited or are you nervous about this? I mean, I'm excited, period, because... One, I'm excited for Sandberg to return to horror. Two, I don't expect this to be identical. It's probably not going to come close to the feeling that playing the game gives you. Yeah. But it could be fun. I could be surprised. But more than anything, I think that this type of thing will have people go back and play the original and they'll discover the video game and why it's so special. So it's it's kind of like a win-win no matter how I look at it. Mm-hmm. Good way to think about that. Yeah. All right, listeners, your turn. What horror movie needs a musical adaptation? What video game needs a movie adaptation? Hint, the answer is the seventh guest. Because I'm old. You can call her text. (laughs) I'm old? Yeah. I'm old? (laughs) You can call her Texas at 224-475-1040. The number is also in the show notes. Or feel free to email us at bedisgustingpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, Xena is going to make all our lives easier in the sea of poor movie options and clue us in on what's appearing soon that we should be watching. So, Xena, what should we be watching? Uh, so, tomorrow, you'll be able to own Thanksgiving on DVD or Blu-ray. So, just in case if you missed it on, uh, well, missed it in theaters or if you just want to own it. So, um, if you love Thanksgiving-inspired 
killer movie or mo- I was going to say monster movies, but there's a Thanksgiving inspired killer on the loose. So if you love stuff like that, this one is a must. Then on Friday, the second, we just have two movies coming our way. Somewhere quiet. This will be available on VOD. This one follows a woman as she readjusts to normalcy after after her kidnapping. Her sense of reality begins to deteriorate when she travels to her husband's family compound. Then departing seniors, this one will be available on VOD. After being bullied, a witty high school a witty high school senior Javier develops psychic abilities, which he must be which he must use to stop a mysterious serial killer targeting his classmates. And uh, you know, also Screenbox is available for you. That's all. <laughs> Quick week. <laughs> Quiet week. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with quiet weeks. Yeah. And that's the Bloody Disgusting podcast for this week, everyone. If you'd like to read more from Megan, you can check out her reviews at bloodydisgusting.com and on Twitter at HauntedMeg. Xena can be found on her own website, realqueenofhorror.com, and the YouTube channel of the same name, or at Lovely Xena on Twitter. And you can hear me on my weekly horror narration podcast, Creepy. Don't forget to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app and feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BeDisgustingPod or drop us an email at BeDisgustingPodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out all things Bloody Disgusting on TikTok at BeDisgusting. So for this week, I'm John. I'm Megan. I'm Zena. Grab some popcorn, cozy up on the couch, watch something you love, just make sure it's something bloody. Mm-hmm.